So did we all sign up for Frank? Oh yeah. Um I didn't. But <laughs> I could for the bit. But on the other hand, I don't want to end do up on a list. Do it for the vine. Do it for the vine. Do it for the vine. So you want to remind people what held, Frank is? Being held up by Department of Homeland Security for the vine. <laughs> um. <laughs> so when you so when you need to go to the U.S. now and you fill out your ESTA form to get your like, right. Clearance that you don't need a visa, basically, if you're from a one of the visa exempt countries. Um, it asks you as an optional thing to give your social media handles. <laughs> and Ooh. like they phrase it in a way that does not make it sound definitely optional from my memory. They might have changed that now because people complained, I'm not sure. But right. Uh, when I looked it, looked it up, just to be like, is this actually op- like what's the deal with this? This is this is weird. People are like, do not under any circumstances put your your social media handles in. I was like, yeah, that makes that makes sense. But it's uh, it'd be just really funny to just put in your Frank. <laughs> Frank. <laughs> I'm on Frank. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh god. Do we, yeah. Okay. Quick explanation explain, for explain Frank. Frank. Frank is. Yeah, it's the new social media by um, the new vanguard of American fascism. Um, uh, uh, Lindell? I forgot his first name. John Lindell? Chris Lindell? Is it Mike no, Lindell? Mike, Mike Lindell. The, 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 the new was a four-letter. Yeah. Chris isn't four letters. It should be. But, uh, uh, um, <laughs> stupid CH. Stupid Latin. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh yeah, it, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow CEO, uh, started a free speech social media called Frank, which has some of the bizarrest features in the world. Which is like, if you sign up for Frank, you automatically follow all influencers, mm. like on Frank. Um, the idea being that, which might make sense. I don't know. I can see the weird logic behind it. If you're kicked off one of the mainstream platforms, if you join Frank, you will get like the maximum number of users you can. It's like a yeah. weird incentive thing to get like to be. Uh, there's got to be a name for this now, like the refuge social media for these. Yeah, because there's bats. competition in that space. Like you got to compete with Parler and whatnot. Mm. Um, but Frank has a lot of specific rules as well, like no blaspheming, no which... saying God's name in vain. Yes, <laughs> which, which is, which is really funny because you're it, like, it's just you know the obviously so much stuff he like people like him say is just like on the face of it, like absurd. But I think yeah. in the same paragraph saying. Uh, everyone is stifling our speech. We're pro free speech. Diverse opinions are very important. No taking the Lord's vain- name in vain. Uh, you'll be kicked off immediately. <laughs> like, wait a minute. So what you're saying is, oh, we're not going to do any, uh, like, as in we, we think all these mods are just like SJWs and they, they think Biden won the election and they're wrong. Uh, mm. our mods who have these really specific opinions are definitely infallible <laughs> and are, are completely yeah. correct. You're like, that's, because it's just not. <laughs> Why are you bothering to call it free speech? You just call it like Christian or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's like word oh, salad. God. 
I mean, I, I, I hold that hope for it. It's also worth pointing out that like a tweet was circulating. I think I shared it with, uh, with yourself, of just like the uh, um, let's call it brutalist web design. Uh, <laughs> the the, <laughs> the like. <laughs> Much of the way the brutalist architecture just shows the pure concrete. Uh, mm. Frank as a website, which I don't even want to say is frank.com. I don't think it's frank.com. I don't think he got that domain. Um, does not have any CSS on it. It is just standard Times New Roman text. I'm assuming that Beautiful. was the package, like the their css bundle hadn't like what didn't load your server load or correctly. Prob- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or is like blocked or something like um well yeah, that's pretty either way it was, it was quite funny the um yeah i don't think i'm gonna i don't think frank's gonna take off i think there's it's actually a more sad being the no moderation except for the moderation we want social network is actually like quite competitive and there's quite a few things that have been around a long time that have just not succeeded because you eventually run into the problem of, at some point you need to start moderating because if you're big enough, you, you then get the child pornography police known as the police mm. <laughs> show, up, show up at your door no, and say, they're, they're a branch for that, yeah, yeah, and yeah. say like, is there any child pornography? And you're like, well, we don't check. We're not about that. They're like, that's not really, no, that's not really how we do this. <laughs> you're you're kind of responsible. So yeah, this is uh. Yeah, it's funny the the people who want, um, like who want you know, Twitter to be accountable for being a like values neutral. If they if they moderate this, they can't moderate things based on their like personal choice. They need to be like the public square, America levels of free speech rules, and then also on the same time, just also want particular things kicked off, or they're also invested in these weird platforms that. <laughs> have other other weird stuff going on yeah um it's a um i don't know there's like there's i just, i looked into it and i just keep forgetting there's like so many different ones of these yeah like um parlor has been like turned into persona non grata or whatever like they 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 were kicked off their servers. They're like on those same weird server thing as like Daily Stormer is or whatever. Oh, but so the um the news today was Apple have announced they're letting them back on the App Store. So Parler's back Ooh. in whatever form it is. I think that like a one of the one of the original founders isn't involved anymore or something. Um, but I think they've basically managed to like finagle some you know uh, community yeah. standards that yeah. everyone's like, well, I guess that's okay. Just- <laughs> from the from the perspective of we're not going to kick you off our thing. <laughs> uh, Gab still has a Twitter account, and they like post like fourteen words dog whistly images. Yeah. Um. So that's fun. Um. Oh, similarly, I found the like pro pedophilia like European account yeah. this week. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw that. <laughs> Uh, I yeah, I've been off Twitter for a bit, but um, been off Twitter. Why? Why would you? Why would you get off this website? <laughs> I don't understand. That's <laughs> some, some work to do. <laughs> I think that account has been banned. I'm just looking through. 
Yeah, I'm looking through my uh, my fucked Euro vibes list. It's, oh yeah, um, right. As opposed to your regular Euro vibes list. Yeah. yeah, this is my fucked. It's vibes bracket Euro comma fucked is <laughs> literally the name of the list. Close brackets. Um, I think they were banned. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah. I think if you're like an explicitly pro pedophilia. Um, well, it it was in a very specific way because the whole thing it was um, it had kind of like a not like kind of innocent meme name, which is like Europeans posting their W's online. Oh but, right, yeah, yeah. But then it was just like listing the age of consent in various <laughs> European countries. <laughs> no. Yeah, for people who don't know, the age of consent of most European countries is younger than 18. Uh, yeah, um, but also, like, I think people were pointing out the weird technicalities of, like, had this meme of, like, me, 38, dating, like, a 16-year-old in Germany, being like, it's legal, you can't complain. And people were like, wait, no, that's not legal. Like, the, the age of consent in Germany is 16, but there's, like, a bracket. You have to be, like, 21 yeah, or younger. Under, yeah, you're yeah. under a certain age, which, I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's trying to split the difference in a way. That they they thought about this. You're just being, you're just, like, doing this for, you know, what you think is comedy purposes. I I really hope I was got and it was a troll, like, doing a very apt parody of just the worst people. But um, I just I just can't tell anymore, man. The... I I unfortunately don't think it was real. I think they I think they flew. I, no, I I unfortunately don't think that was the case. I do think it was real, and I do think they flew a little too close to the sun. There um, was a thing today which I think is is very emblematic of things that I think aren't are like are exaggerated opinions, and the people the the, the people who are most angry about this are actually like you know trying to stir the shit. They don't they like as in. They're mostly being contrarian, and they they've already decided like they don't like somebody, and they're you know picking picking a fight for that reason, and they've gotten into this extreme position. I think some proportion of the anti like lockdown people are like that. They're like anti lockdown because mm. they're contrarian. They're being contra- they they don't like the people who are pro it, and that's made them more extreme. <laughs> but like so, yeah. today, there was like a mini uh, British uh, politics scandal because um, uh, oh, Keir Starmer was in Bath doing like local election campaign rounds and this pub landlord like laid into him and initially it sounded like oh you know you've not held this government to account and you should be ashamed of yourself i've voted labor all my life yada yada i'm never voting them again and you're like okay yeah. well, maybe this guy has some reasonable axe to grind and then <laughs> it, as, as as his as his rat went on it, it very quickly became apparent like no actually this guy's a covid denier who wants his pub opened, and that's why he's angry yeah. about it. He's like, you, this conservative government is dangerous because they've closed my pub. <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. Get out of my pub. And you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, he's even shouting at the camera, being like, I hope this goes out, like, t- on TV. And it's like, yeah. oh. No, it's not It's yeah, it's not a case that you're just like this This thing that seems like a joke internet personality or so, someone who's memeing, but it's yeah. like, no, he's a crazy person. He probably has a Twitter account. He probably, like, shouts at people. It's probably just, like, the random, you know... Uh, Various you, eggs or yeah, whatever. An like, egg with a Union Jack and some numbers. It's probably this guy. The crying laughing emoji. That's the that's the big one. Yeah. It's always those people who I, I you know, like to assume don't exist in, in person, but then it turns out sometimes they do and they materialize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's the that's the uh, that's the whole rub of the internet, though, wasn't it? Because I I remember the very like 
uh, I want to say 2013 to like 2016 opinion of just like, oh, ignore the Daily Mail comment section. Those aren't real. And then like 2016 happened and a bunch of stuff that surprised a lot of people who said that were like, well, no, actually, I think they were real. <laughs> I think you underestimated how many people in this like society were willing to spend all day just getting really fucking pissed off in the Daily Mail's comment section. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's more, I, I think like it's, it's more like a lot of these people, when you go like, oh, Twitter isn't real life. You're like, well, that is true. And that's because not that many people total in most countries of their population beyond Twitter or something similar. Hmm. What they're doing is having very similar conversations <laughs> with their buddies. And the people who are angry on Twitter all the time are like not currently near their buddies or like don't have the like people to go complain about this shit at the pub. Like they these are like hell beliefs because you're like you know you do encounter a lot of people who were who were like insane you know daily rail readers and have like these crazy opinions you know, the email is like it doesn't it doesn't have like crazy good circulation but it has like quite a substantial circulation it's one of the most visited websites in the world <laughs> so yeah it's uh yes most people are not posting the comment section in that like the daily mail comment section isn't like a perfect representation but it's not not a representation um it is. I, I would say it's generally better not to read those comments because they. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, but that's like that's that is like a, a. Yeah, it's not. That is just like a personal mental health section. Like never scroll through the comments on YouTube type thing. Yeah, um, exactly. It's not like those people don't, the, don't don't exist in reality. <laughs> no, no, exactly, and like it, like it goes the other way too because like, I've I've uh, uh, comedians in the United States. I've heard complain like, why is everyone communist on Twitter? And it's just like, no, no, they were communists in real life. It's just that this, we'll get to this topic later. I think <laughs> when we talk about like the documentary, yeah. but like online spaces just kind of allow people to find certain communities and realize who they are, what they believe, and what they want. Yeah, and they're more willing to express that in the like forced geographical community that you can like find yourself in where like everyone around you, you don't really know their own opinions and you're just kind of like trying to keep a certain semblance of peace. And that works both ways. Like, yeah, I think there's a lot of the, like a lot of the, you know, people who have jobs working like relatively senior in like a traditional media outlet who very, will very vocally say things like, well, Twitter isn't real life. And that, and what they mean by that is not, it's not real life in that like it's online and people might be more extreme there or they might have opinions they wouldn't necessarily like go as far down there as they would in an online argument what they mean is like it's explicitly not representative and those people are there's those people seem like there's a lot of them but there's actually none of them and my worldview is actually predominant and they'll often credit like oh people are being polarized by these <laughs> online communities and you're like well so both those are actually more contradictory than you think they are even though you're you, you're, you're saying like oh we're amplifying these extreme voices and you're like well what you're what you're saying is that these people did, don't exist at, like at all in a reasonable proportion and also they have like undue influence and are convincing everyone around to their side it's like well if people aren't on twitter how are they being convinced around to it is because you post articles with their tweets i don't think that's convincing people i think people are reading those and going oh yeah that's that makes sense (laughs) or i agree with some aspect of this or i disagree with some aspect of this and it's maybe more extreme in my position it's not necessarily these people are being polarized by these uh like the online spaces it's like they're being exposed to a wider variety of opinions um 
Yeah. I think there's like, there's so much, uh, there's so much to unpack with anyone who kind of like says that, especially like senior within publications, because I know a lot of people who are junior in publications and they are like opinions that that publications editorial board would call extreme. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like they keep quiet about it and they lock their Twitter accounts or they make sure not to like follow or like certain things because their job stops them from expressing themselves fully. And it's like, you don't real. I, I think it's a lot of people who feel like a lot of journalists who say that I always feel like don't realize how curated their world is or how mm. curated their existence is. The other thing that keeps blowing me my, my mind is just like, because since we last recorded, we had like the whole Meghan Markle and Prince Philip dying thing. A lot of Royal family discussions. Yeah. And I just keep looking into the polls and it's just like a, a, a much larger percentage of people in the UK are Republicans, like British Republicans, mm. and they're just like let nowhere near any kind of like platform. Yeah, um, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like a, it's a quarter. It's like close to a quarter. It's twenty three percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, this twenty two percent has no major television or uh, you know print media. Print. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that caters to them, uh, and like people, people would you know complain the other way and go oh, well, like oh these these are all secretly being run by these crazy republicans you're like yeah but th- they don't it's not the way they behave with their running it so they're obviously yeah. not actually in power despite what you, you like some people think it's not um the evidence is really bear that out um yeah like the best you can always get is like there's some odd british celebrity who's just like buried in their wikipedia political belief section is just like oh this person's a republican it's like oh what do they do or like oh look at all that influence they have in the media what does he do it's like he's a game show host yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, i don't think he gets many opportunities on like i don't know the 2021 version of family fortunes to like talk about how we should have a precedent or something <laughs> no absolutely it's um it's very uh it's very strange and there's also like as in there is no like i would i would in heavy quotation marks legitimate political outlet for them mm. as well for the for the this you know <laughs> if you got 25 percent of the public to vote for you like obviously in the in the like uk's voting system you know you, you wouldn't necessarily have like a big have a big impact but you'd be like a substantial political force and um yeah. there is no like I, there's no realistically outwardly like republican party i don't i don't remember what the green party's position on this is but they weren't like fuck prince philip or be like we shouldn't no. be having like a taxpayer funded uh media campaign about, about this you know it's the, that's not yeah. the position of anybody which is would be the position of quite a substantial proportion of the population and you might go well that's a minority and it's like, well that's that's fine but there's lots of minority interests that have like a lot of amplitude going it's a it, but it is like interesting how much of a third rail like position or like how it's perceived as a third rail position because like when i looked at those polls and stuff i saw also the like geographical breakdown of it yeah and it's like unsurprisingly like um they don't poll northern ireland first of all on this question um but then like scotland and wales are the places where it's like strongest um that makes sense but even then the like snp's official position is uh independence first and then we'll have another like debate or referendum about our relationship with the royal family whether we're like a supposedly independent scotland would be like a part of the commonwealth or we'd become a republic um 
But that's like interesting. Like they they viewed even though Scotland is like the highest propensity of like Republican thought, it seems according to these maps, they yeah. still viewed it as like no, we're not going to make a definite position on it. Yeah, I think it's just not not worth the political hit. It's one of those things where you're like, well, there's no no realistic chance of you doing anything about it in the short term. <laughs> yeah, I was having this conversation with a friend uh, who you know, but I'm just not going to say the name of the podcast. Mm. Um, that like, I basically don't believe there will ever be a referendum in the UK about getting rid of the monarchy. I think if the monarchy goes in the UK, it will be due to some sort of like crisis and collapse. I don't think it will ever be put to a vote. Uh, no, I would be inclined to agree with that. Um, that's, uh, but that's, that's near her there. Let's not talk about this. <laughs> uh, we should, uh, we should open the podcast. Yeah. Dream- <laughs> Welcome to Dream Buddies, the podcast about following your dreams and the future vanguards of American fascism. Um, I'm Hugh. Hello. I'm here with Kieran. Hi. Uh, Kieran, how are your dreams? My dreams are, are uh, okay, but like considering the amount of time that we've had between now and then, the progress has been very slow. Mm. Um I've been doing mostly some like writing and planning of like comics and stuff. That's cool. Um, but then I found it very hard to like sit down and draw stuff, mm. um, which is you know life and a baby. And I got a tetanus booster today. Oh, and they cool. told me I'd start feeling like shit before bed, and I'm sorry to feel like shit. <laughs> so yeah, that's like, um, yeah. So I've got like a dead disease inside me, I guess. Um, I've forgotten how vaccines work. It's been a long time. <laughs> but the... Yeah, it's been good. Like I, I, But I have been doing some like bullshit distractions. For example, on this piece of paper here, you might see that I uh, I, I got into uh, learning shorthand. No, uh, <laughs> stop that. Stop that immediately. That's such a waste of your time. <laughs> I found out that the shorthand used today is called T line. I've seen T line before. Have you seen T line? Um, I have. So cool basically, T line. Yeah, I remember when I worked in publishing. That was one of the things they were like, "Oh, you could learn." Like, they were like, "Oh, you can." There's a training budget. You can go on courses and stuff. And I was basically, I looked at it. I was just like, I looked at the list of courses, and one of them was like. Learning shorthand, it was for the purpose of like, yeah, like note taking in editorial meetings. I was like, I don't need to do that. And if I did, I'd type it. I'd bring a laptop in. And then there yeah. was like, like typesetting. It was like, but no one typesets on paper where we work. So this would be a useless skill for me to have. So it's just like, no, don't learn, don't learn like a, don't learn shorthand. It's always, it's always But there's a very nice, uh, there's a very nice scouse woman who teaches you on YouTube how to do it. Okay, it's well, that's, that's that's worth it then. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. it's kind of insane though. Like, I, I was just kind of looking into it just because, like, how does how does shorthand actually work? Like, I've seen examples of shorthand, mm. like I've seen written examples of shorthand, but like, what is the mechanics of it? And like, I don't know. It's kind of insane. Um, I don't know how anyone gets used to it, to be honest. 
yeah. yeah, I suspect it's one of those things that just clicks and then suddenly you're like, it's hard to explain. Like, <laughs> can't get it. Uh, similarly, another like wasted time thing that I'm just like super into right now, and I might do live of the podcast. I might just like get it going. Um, Duolingo added a Yiddish course. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going in. <laughs> um, mainly because I'm very fascinated with Yiddish. As just like yeah the 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 hauntology language of just like okay so I, I find I find the reason I find Yiddish very interesting is just like this is very clearly there's like no way around this this is a very clearly Central European language uh. like like it is it but it's both very Jewish and both very Central European you cannot mm. deny either one of those things mm-hmm. so it's like clearly like this was a European people group and this was a European yeah. culture and it is like effectively gone now because I mean Yiddish is still spoken but it's largely been supplanted by uh, modern Hebrew yeah, uh, right. as the as the language of choice like I think Yiddish is spoken mostly in um, New York I think it's like where it is because like the mm. ultra orthodox Jewish community still kind of speaks it amongst themselves. Yeah, they all speak Yiddish. It's quite funny. There's like there's two um, like Hasidic Jew TV shows. There was that one uh, unorthodox about the, oh. the it's the true it's the true story semi true story of um, that author that that did leave the New York Hasidic mm. Jew community and move to Germany. Um, and then I've, I've forgotten what the other one is called, but basically, like a lot, there's a lot of actor crossover between them because finding actors right. who can speak Yiddish, <laughs> so there's like a finite number of people uh, because the 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 language base is small is very small compared to you know English or German. So um, I think that was in particular because they need to find people who could both speak Yiddish and German, which is easier than Yiddish, English, and German. And you're like, well, that's probably like a reasonable crossover, but. Yeah, there's not a lot of also good professional actors. That crossover is going to be small. That can do those languages at the same time, yeah. Um, Unorthodox reminds me that I really hate the like serious pun show title creation thing that existed for a while. Uh, where like <laughs> we have a very serious show, but we've given it a pun title. The other one was Transparent. Uh, but Transparent was a comedy. It was no. It was like that new type. Yeah, you know, it was like yeah, those it was new like comedies. A, yeah, that's like, like a dramedy. Kind we had like thing, yeah. yeah, we had two jokes this episode. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, Still, yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, but like the other thing that tells me about Yiddish is it's just like it's very very close to German. Mm. Like Nick from Corner Spady has like. You know, when he goes back to America, he has, like, some um, older Jewish people that he knows who speak Yiddish, and he can just, like, talk to them. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah, because there's enough crossover. That's cool. With German, yeah. So it's like, but then at the same time, it's pronunciation and grammar is closer to English. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's like, yeah, hmm. so let's do cheat mode German. That's what I've convinced myself it is. It's cheat mode German where you have to learn the Hebrew alphabet. <laughs> you know, that sounds a lot harder than German. <laughs> 
Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll find out. I'll tell you next time. Yeah, okay, tell me next time, because I, <laughs> you, you may have quit by next time. <laughs> the... Yeah, right? Because I was just looking through the, the active courses. So the really toxic thing about uh, Duolingo, Duolingo is just like an abusive boyfriend. Mm. That's what like Duolingo acts like. Mm. Um, you can't leave a course no. on Duolingo. No. No, so once you start a course, it will just sit in this top bar forever. Yeah. Um. Even when I've completed a course, I've completed Geolingo Irish. And it's just like, yeah, it's going to sit there. Oh, you um, can never leave. Well, it's because they, they might add more like advanced content, I guess, is the idea. But, oh, they, they definitely, like, that's, that's a huge problem with the Irish course in Geolingo. It is like, it's, it's like abandonware at this point. Like, it, like, it doesn't function anymore because the UI and stuff of Duolingo has, like, changed so much. Oh, right. Oh, that's so there's, like, huge problems with it. Um, but I also have Navajo and Hawaiian honey. <laughs> you're like a... You just love punishment. <laughs> I do, but like, I also just was like, the courses are available. I was like, what are these languages like? Turns out, insane. Mm-hmm. Um, Navajo in particular. Navajo is just like, there are like 12 different diacritics on this language <laughs> yeah i think it's probably because it you know it makes sense that it's just so far from like as you're saying like yiddish yeah, yeah, yeah. while you know it might sound and use the he- sound difficult and use the hebrew al- alphabet in practice it's, it's very germanic yeah this is where the origins are from whereas like navajo is not like you know oh and secretly it's like a romance language <laughs> it's just like <laughs> no it's actually different and there's a lot there's a lot to yeah. it is the it's not even indo-european no which i mean is for the best i guess good for them yeah um that's cool so basically what you're saying is you haven't done any comic work not not an awful lot no well i'm here to shame you that's bad no 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 but I, but I, I didn't learn Navajo. That's good. Okay, yeah. So that's uh, yeah. that's my achievement. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Good job. Thank you. Excellent job, champ. You got this. Uh, <laughs> next time, I want to see some like vague comic stuff. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. Because that's the point of the podcast. Is we're supposed to be like mm. nudging each other towards uh, doing the stuff we said we we're gonna do, and also talking about European leftism. And watching yes. fun documentaries. Um, I after oh, uh, sh- sh- yeah after shaming you, I've also not done very much work, and <laughs> so I hit I hit a bit of a wall with some stuff. I don't remember I don't remember what I was doing last time we were talking because it was a while ago now. But basically, uh, I was trying to I was trying to descope the game we're working on a bit, mm. and. I then started basically being like, so we pared down what the original like map was going to be to like a much smaller map, which is good because actually once you were physically in the world, it felt too it felt too big anyway. So probably for the best that we pared it down. We didn't pare it down quite as much as I wanted to pare it down, but that's it's okay. But then I started running into the problems with the like some performance issues. So basically, like uh. It had the the setting is like on a lake with a lot of trees, and even with the like really low poly trees I was using, I think the problem is that like the, the engine we're using, which is Godot, is not like super advanced. It's like an open source engine that's really really cool in a lot of ways, yeah. but a lot of it is focused towards the two D stuff, and the three D stuff is newer, 
and therefore they don't have a lot of like out of the box performance fixing things. So like the game will chug if it uses the number of trees I want to use. Uh, <laughs> so I'm now basically doing my contingency plans for if, which is I thought this might happen. Basically, if this happens, do the following. <laughs> uh, so I, I have my laundry list of uh, like quite substantial work that I've been semi putting off for a few weeks because it's quite uh quite tedious to get to work, and then it's it's one of those things that because I spent quite a while getting the like uh like semi proc gen forest stuff set up um in the first place, and then that didn't work as in like it, it looked fine, but it was mm. um uh too slow because uh, it created too many stuff too much stuff to to render. Um. Uh, yeah, doing something where you're like I know going into this that I don't know if this fix will work but it'll take me a few days of like solid work to try it is quite I, it's quite demotivating I find this in my like normal job as well it's very difficult to start something where you're like this might be fruitless and we all agree it's probably fruitless but we have to try it because <laughs> actually it might work and I I have no like good reason why it won't work I'm just like you know, I've been burnt a few times now in a row with this, so um, <laughs> it's basically like writing shaders to make it less, more performant, and using sprites in some locations and mm. smaller models. The thing is, like, so a lot of the a lot of the problems are are down to the engine, which are things I I, I anticipated, but I thought we were making a small enough game that it wouldn't be a problem. Because, <laughs> like, um, if you ever uh, it's a pretty good example of it. If you ever, um, uh, the game that pioneered this, for instance, was um, the original Jack and Dexter game. Oh. Did the, uh, oh, yeah. the first pass basically of like things that are far away are really low poly, and then as you get closer to them, they gradually become higher polygon counts. And the way that used to be, like, that used to not really be a, an issue because basically, like, like, uh, PCs and, um, game consoles prior to that game exist prior to the PS2 basically couldn't render enough polygons on screen for that to ever have been an option and the PS2 came out and they were like so you can render like a shitload more polygons but if you want to do complex backgrounds that are actual geometry that's still not really feasible and they basically you know worked out that you could make it and just have like multiple copies of the same of the same uh, same object um, and I think basically to make that work you've a lot of like messing around of shaders and stuff and a lot of modern engines have stuff like that kind of not built in but like the tooling there to kind of just make it work if you can just put mm. together the models or things that will even automatically generate lower poly models to some extent um that stuff's like not built into this there's no there's no good tooling for it um so there's a lot of manual writing and then there's also stuff like uh like ambient occlusion so basically the idea behind that is if say you have like two streets and you've like objects on one street and your characters on the other street, hmm. you can have an engine that's clever enough to work out that you 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 can't see and there's no like possibility of using soon the stuff that's on the street one street over. That's like a relatively modern <laughs> concept to to have working. So that's also not supported like out of the box in the engine we're using. So there's lots of things that like. Oh, there's like an island in the middle of the lake, but all the stuff that's behind the island 
a lot of it gets rendered even though it's not supposed to <laughs> because you can't see it <laughs> so it's a lot slower than it could have been in theory if we'd used something else but i think we were quite like keen to use like an open source engine and kind of make it work uh for like yeah ideological reasons <laughs> um and part of the real part of the ideas of like the um you know, making it like run in perpetuity and stuff, and not having to deal with like licensing down the road or some sort of cha- something that changes that causes us problems, um, was kind of a nice concept. But uh, it's a uh, yeah, it's run into some problems. So that's caused things to be slow because uh, I'm demotivated. <laughs> no, but that's like that's understandable. I've heard like okay, so th- does the f- did the full poly background ever become like a thing? I feel like that's just always like there's always going to be like dev workarounds for that, right? Uh, yeah. So a lot of play. So like, if you ever play like a big open world game, where mm. basically you're like everything like as in say you're in the middle of the world map, everything you can see in every direction, you you can go to in those game in, in those things. And the way yeah, they yeah, do yeah. that basically is like it's a really low poly. Go- the thing in the distance is really low poly because. It doesn't actually, like, and that's all you see anyway, like, at that distance. In the same way in the real yeah. world, if you look at something far away, you can't see, the, <laughs> you can't see the detail on it. It doesn't matter. So you'll have, yeah. like, a lower, low, like, a low version of the mesh and then a low version of the texture and just have that map on. But there's, like, other yeah. performance things to kind of make that stuff work well that, like, mm. you don't want to do all the lighting on, on those things, even if they're lower poly kind. And kind of, if you just replace the model, you get some of the benefit, but not all of the benefit. And therefore, stuff that's like actually in the distance, you kind of want to uh, kind of work yeah. that out. And it's just like so. I guess yeah. they yeah, they just got better at it, basically, of making it look more real. Yeah, with the like yeah, okay, yeah, they've just got re- better at I it. Re- and you can and like as in at that distance, you kind of going like, well, adding like you know five more triangles to this thing will make it look a lot better. <laughs> make it look a lot better because it only has two. <laughs> The, uh, uh, recently um, enough i was playing a online game where my game disconnected from the server in such a way where whatever the fail safe to have detected you had done that hadn't didn't go off so i was just mm. in the world and could walk around but none of the rendering happened like none of the rendering updated so <laughs> i then walked up to other player characters who were like relatively far away from me and i was like you are like three triangles put together <laughs> this is really weird <laughs> <laughs> um yeah because i I remember like that playstation 2 era of trying to do that i remember Mm. um the whole thing with the first jack and dexter game which they got rid of uh with the second and third one uh, because they're like the payoff for this is not worth it was like it was going to be a platformer with like this continuous world yeah like Uh, there wasn't screens was the goal there was like no levels really, as as you understand. There's areas and a map. Um, yeah, yeah, which was kind of cool. But like at the same time, I also found it a little bit okay. First of all, as like a young gamer going from like um, PlayStation One era platforms like Crash Bandicoot, maybe the same studio, it also felt kind of like weirdly more threatening because I felt like there was actually such a fucking effort to get back to an area that I could consider safe. Yeah, right, yeah. Without having, like, you get used to the idea of the hub world, of just, like, I Mm. can set down the controller and something's not going to, like, pop out and kill me or whatever. Yeah, right, Uh, yeah. 
was really bad for anxiety. I guess that's what I would describe it. It was like it made me feel very anxious. Um, but also like it didn't quite work because I remember going from like one area to another in Jack and Daxter, and like I'd be mid jump and it would just like freeze for a bit because it's obviously yeah, loading. So loading the next chunk or whatever. Yeah, is the yeah. That's uh, uh that's that's very true. It's um, it's good. It was a good idea. It was like very before its time, really, in a lot of ways for that because that's yeah. kind of like how you'd want a lot of the stuff to run in theory. But like you could design around those things. But I think if you could basically get rid of like the loading screens and like instead of hub worlds have like you know safe areas that you come across, for instance, what we were doing, where it's just not not an issue. Like open world games do do a good job with that. Like in like in Zelda, you don't tend, tend to get like murdered in a town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the I think the other thing is like it's very typical of like the flagship games. I want to say yeah of um yeah that's, that's the term like launch titles. Sorry, that's the that's it. Jack and Daxter, I think, if not explicitly, was like very close to a launch title. People were expecting it. It was like the closest thing Sony ever had to a mascot at the time was uh, Crash Bandicoot, which was made by the same studio. Um, but, like, it, it's those kind of things that, are, like, exist in a game that you're like, this was for... This was for, like, the dev conference. This wasn't yeah. for actual an actual audience. Um, yeah, that aspect of it anyway, I guess. The, um... Because, like, I guess the only evidence I have towards that is like it's a thing they basically abandoned for the sequels. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, well, so there's a good interview with the um, like I forget his name. He's one of the Naughty Dog founders. Um, oh yeah. Where basically like he like basically him describing how they did did that at the time because it was much more complicated to do, do it in like the P- in PS2 tooling. Um, yeah. Or even to get the get us to do that at all. Basically, people thought kind of that that idea was out there, but people were like, "But it's not doable," and they'd worked out a way mm. to do it. Um, and I think he was quite like aggrieved that they dropped it for the sequels because he didn't work on the sequels personally. I think Naughty Dog still made them, but it was like the other team at Naughty oh, yeah. Dog that was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. without the right people on it, you're like, "Well, we don't technically know how this works," so that's that's nuts. Because there's also him talking about like the way. They did all the animations in the original Crash Bandicoot because, like, anim, like, uh, uh, like, um, keyframe animation in like in engine in games wasn't really a a done thing it, to any large extent. And if you look at a lot of PS One games, people generally are like really rigid moving, like robot looking people. Um, mm. like Metal Gear Solid is a really good example where everyone has like basically like one arm, like their arm moves in like one blob. <laughs> it's not like a yeah. thing, but all of like the Crash Bandicoot animations are all really, really smooth. And there's like a lot, like as in there's a lot of animation going on. And basically what they did was they used film grade animation software to do the animations. They saved like effectively a video, like, the time sequence of where each vertice- vertices on the po- on the triangle needed to be in space. So mm. none of the animation is done live. It's basically like a file that has saved the exact location for every every vertex on Crash when he's like dying or doing a jump and stuff. So all the animations yeah, look smooth okay. and they're not like things, oh, but they're still in 3D. And it was like, that was again something that they was deemed to be impossible and everyone was it really really showed off like oh this system is incredible but actually the system can't do it <laughs> can't do what they were showing off it was just like a thing they had like blobbed on i think a lot of their stuff was you know in that in that kind of vein and mm. 
it doesn't uh it's it's uh it's something you wouldn't need to do anymore but uh I, I can i can no one else would do that because they'd be like we don't know how to or we we don't have the 30 grand to have this film animation software <laughs> yeah yeah for sure i guess like my uh my critique is um the that guy at night dog was wrong because um i i really disliked jack and daxter one uh well, I, jack yeah, and daxter. I, I didn't like it either but i didn't like the game and that's the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, but like, i don't think that came down to the like you know the that as- that th- aspect of it i think he was annoyed basically because they were like we had this like technical solution to a thing that you could design around and like if I don't think that's like I think that was I think that was good because I think if that was mm. the first platformer you played, and then you went and played an older platformer, you'd be like, "Man, everything is like really short." <laughs> so I keep having to go back to this like world where I don't do anything, and you'd be like, "Yeah, that's that's weird." That's weird. Sure, I get, yeah. I guess the I guess my my critique would be that like Jack Two gave people the same feeling, but I think had like a more technical solution because like jack 2 was set in this like giant walled city and like every like there was these it all felt like a big connected world oh, and there was right, like different yeah, okay. neighborhoods yeah, and yeah. stuff in the city but like you would leave the walled city to go to a world and that was effectively a loading screen yeah 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 well yeah. i mean i i i have appreciation for the naughty dog guy whose name i've forgotten uh, uh <laughs> position position of like yes my delicious like yeah. basically breaking this console to make <laughs> make my make my like uh pushing the limits of the salt of the of the hardware uh game yeah. to run it's like what's the game oh it's a cartoon jumping game <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. uh it's like like i don't like like i i I'm, i don't enjoy like uncharted games for instance but like i really appreciate where like no but that's like the pinnacle of like animation technology <laughs> the running engine um, oh yeah, and, uh, that's the other thing. I, I, I yeah, go on. No, it's just yeah, it's like a similar thing of just you know, nothing else looks like that. They've made they they've made this like incredible technical feat, and mm-hmm. you can just like other things about it. But like the people who did the technical thing are still like, yeah, but look, that still works. And you're like, yeah, the bit you worked on was great, but I, d- I didn't like this game. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I'm a I'm not a huge fan of anything Naughty Dog made after that. Actually, I guess this is my other thing, and. um but yeah, shout out to that guy, the original um, Naughty Dog, I guess. I can understand why he was like maybe pushed out of the process, because he was just like too naughty. I think he was probably, yeah. at that point, like... Drool, but everywhere. Too, like, you know, if you're like the head of the studio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other things to be doing, rather than like consulting on like really specific small technical things. Well, like large technical things, but you know, not involved He was in also probably pretty old. Yeah. Um, oh, I also I, I forgot. Naughty Dog did Last of Us. That's that's kind of like a fun game. Yeah, Last of Us is good. Last of Us Two is less good. Sure. Yeah. But you know um, the list of awards differs. Anyway, um, speaking of uh, technological solutions to things, <laughs> there's yeah. a documentary you suggested watching, um, which uh, I I then watched. The way you described it to me was not what I imagined it was going to be, because. Uh, so it was Preserving Worlds, which is a mm. documentary series on Means TV. Which I'm gonna say out of the gate, you should def- everyone should definitely go watch. It's free. It's a very good set of documentaries. Yeah, very yeah. very well produced. An interesting concept. 
So the way you described it to me was like, an, it's an archiving documentary, which it is, but it's more about, like, the things it's about are not what I imagined it to be about. I thought it was more about, like, the technical, like, things that people have to do to get this stuff archived. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not about digital archiving, it's done by digital archivers. Yes, exactly, which, I, which is, which yeah. is, a uh, it's not what I expected, but it's actually better than what I was imagining. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I mean, like, I, I found out about this documentary from and the creators did an interview on Pods of America, and they just made the whole thing sound very interesting. Yeah. Um, and that that was like an interview because of what they do. That was an interview about effectively there was some other stuff, but um, that was about digital archiving and the difficulties that like are posed by it, which I think I said last time, but like are kind of insane and speaking of like playstation i I think i mentioned this last time but the like because of like day one patches like a bunch of games are just like broken out of the box as soon as the server goes down that provides the day one patch yeah game just doesn't like work anymore and that's just happened with um they're they've just announced they're closing the uh ps3 and ps vita stores so yeah Obviously, no one's bought, like, there's no manufactured new Vitas that you can buy, but people have them and still use mm. them, and there are games coming out for them, <laughs> for those systems that are just, like, them having digital, like, distribution methods. Once that's gone, you're like, well, if the server's not there, we can, I guess, release, like, a down- something you can download and put on a USB like a or like yeah. a like a memory card you put it in your your vita and then it runs but like if you need a patch you need to go like there's no like update system gone like that yeah but then here you get into all the weird like bullshit anti-piracy proprietary things exactly all these yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's um it's a whole like it's a whole complex thing um and specifically like the um people so i was yeah, so basically like this this documentary I think is a really good example of like some like an example of some of these things that they have managed to do a dig- either a digital archive of or um explaining like why some of it's not possible and some of it's gone. Um so the things they talk about are World's Chat, which I've forgotten what that was was about. <laughs> it's been a while since I watched the documentary. Do you remember World's Chat? Yeah, World's Chat. I have like a weird um, memory of because I remember seeing a. Well, I remember getting a book about the internet when we were like first getting the internet. Yeah. In like I want to say this was like nineteen ninety eight. Mm. Um, and they they included screenshots and descriptions of World's Chat, mm. and then but like no information about how I would ever interact with it. <laughs> so like I got the internet and I was just like, how do I how do I get to the picture in the book? Uh, World's Chat is like this very ambitious like virtual reality thing, um, where people were able to make their own spaces with like a oh, yeah. crude, a crude like three D modeling tool. Yeah, uh, I I, I, no, I remember this. I'd mixed it up with one of the other ones. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, it's very. It's very weird. It's a very impressive that anything like this existed at the time that it existed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. From a... It's one of those things that I'm surprised it works at all. 
or mm. ever worked is kind of a is kind of um because basically like so actually there was a while ago when it was around when facebook bought oculus the oh, yeah. the you know virtual reality headset headset people um mm. they like showed off a tech demo of their like proposed online meeting platform where everyone would have their vr like avatars and you'd all meet and there's like there's things that 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 exist and people do use them now but it was basically Mm -hmm. like this doesn't because it's in vr and therefore you've got to like lower the fidelity a bit for this to work because everything's in such a like you know high data requirements for this to even work at all this actually looks a bit crude and it doesn't look when you look at old screenshots of world stat you're like you would not imagine these things are like 25 years apart in terms of technology <laughs> yes the hardware is way 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 more advanced for the to actually for it to work at all but world's mm. chat i'm shocked it worked at all based on the even the crude 3d worlds um i think the most interesting thing i find about that like the explanation of that is basically it's like people showing up worlds that are obviously made by people like largely made by people who like are long gone from the scene that's people who are left and possibly came to it after the people who made all the content that they interacting with are also gone yeah um but i think that was kind of the really solidified that the people making this documentary and the way they're interacting with it is very different from how people would have interacted in the first place because I remember having, like, you know, the internet in, like, 97 (laughs) being a child and stuff didn't really work. Like, everything loaded very slowly and then even, like, there was, like, local programs you were on your computer that, like, didn't really work and loaded really slowly. (laughs) And for anything interactive to work on, like, online meant that it was not a smooth experience. Something like this is you you would load in like a world and the idea of like casually going to like five or six different worlds seems like it would just take forever and really kill the experience to a certain extent. Um, and the lag of anything like a chat in this or like anything with sound would just be semi out of the question on most people's hardware yeah, yeah. there'd be like a subset of people with like the highest end computers of the time who probably had a great experience of this but <laughs> not um not representative yeah I, I guess the other thing that like kind of comes with any kind of like old version of i guess the kind of technology that we take for granted today yeah is that it was like why this stuff was nerd shit was because it was probably like entirely populated by hobbyists yeah um absolutely people who yeah people who might have had like sophisticated machines because they really wanted to or maybe even just for work um like they were computer scientists or possibly whatever computer scientists were called back then um so yeah it was like it got very nerdy and very particular and stuff i think i like i'm interested world's chat as well as a couple of other things they covered. I'm interested in like the second or third waves that happened. If you know what mm. I mean? Like people who um the second or third waves that happened were probably the most interesting. Um are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. 
Yeah, sorry, I uh, spread it out for a little bit, but I, no, I, I got the gist of what you <laughs> what you were saying. Yay. I, yeah, yeah, I I think the um, I I think yeah, that I think that's very true in that the people who would have the stuff for this to work well at the, at the time would definitely be people who mm-hmm. were like very very into dev technology and their computers. There weren't a lot of people casually interacting with no. this. I think world stats interesting because I think uh. Maybe actually, I'd quite like to jump around, not in order. Um, oh God, yeah, yeah, too, too. So, Neo Habitat is one of the other things they talked about, which is basically the people that they're interviewed with. That so, Neo Habitat was. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Neo Habitat was like that. the was it the LucasArts one? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm forgetting who made the actual Neo Habitat. Uh, the. Yeah, so it was the Lucasfilm's like Habitat MMO, which is basically like, it looks like a LucasArts Scum Engine era adventure game, basically graphics yeah. wise. Like it's all four color pixel, yeah, four color pixel art, and you're, it's two D screens, and you're working around like that. And there's like chat functions, and there's weird like you can buy avatars and stuff, and things you can interact with, and there's like quests you can go on. But it's definitely a for this, the only people who could possibly have interacted with this are people with like relatively, relatively again, relatively good machines at the time. Which in the eighties, when Neo Habitat was made, is very Commodore much 64. like a this is a. T- well, I think I think Commodore sixty four would like you know, people like so the, the amount of people who Commodore sixty fours was high, and the amount of people who Commodore sixty fours that also had an internet connection was a mm. bit lower, <laughs> like quite a bit mm. lower. Um most people have them offline and then people who were like also willing to pay for like their internet and a subscription service which is the, which is what this would have to be for it to work um like at that point th- the money you're talking about is quite like out of hand for something that would like would really chug probably <laughs> in terms of you actually oh, do yeah, anything yeah. there's um it's quite funny there's the so the amc show hawk and catch fire <laughs> yeah the second season of that is about um one of the characters basically is like wants wants to make this interactive world and it's basically like i think it's probably possible um and then tries to do it and basically like, the problems they run into is that it's just not sustain like as in the amount it would cost to run mm. a set of servers stably that did this that was like even a 2d pixel art thing but with multiple people online at the same time all talking to each other <laughs> The infrastructure needed for that to work, the technology just wasn't really there. So it would either no. not work well at all, or it would just about work, and then it would be very expensive for people to use. So in practice, you'd have very few, few people on it. Um, but the documentary is about like uh, the people who are basically doing the like ar- archive version of it. So it's the like, Neo Habitat project people who have yeah. like open-sourced it and got it working as like an art project, basically. Um, yeah, it's got like uh, support from like museums, basically. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of because shown as like the old. first MMO. Yeah, I mean, like I, I kind of believe it. Yeah, but like at the same time, it's also interesting that the guy who like worked on it, and also, I think the guy who was tor- giving them a tour, like in every episode, there's someone who kind of like knows the online world mm. they're talking about giving them a tour effectively mm. 
of what this place is like now, what it used to be like, that kind of thing, mm. because a lot of these things are kind of abandoned, and that's super interesting. Yeah. The um, and I want to I want to get to one of those in a bit. Which, but like with Neo Habitat, I think the guy who was giving the tour like now is fairly senior at Twitter. Yeah, is like or yeah. was at one point, and it's like okay, yeah. There's just like if you got into, it just kind of reminds me of like how small computer science was, like back at a certain day, mm. uh, an age before like everyone was told to get into like tech, and I don't know before the dot com bubbled. It's just like. Yeah, if you were in it back then, you could just like, you would just be picked for all, like all the companies or something. It's just kind of like ridiculous. Because <laughs> um, I think he also worked at Tumblr as well. It was the other thing. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so he was like kind of a hot shit in that world. He's very interesting. But yeah. um, the one. Okay, so like. The two episodes that I think I was least, like, super interested in, but I still thought was kind of sweet, were, like, the Doom modding one and the ZZT one. Yeah. Um, Doom modding because it was, like, I felt like Doom modding was, like, you've kind of broken from the format a little bit. It Mm. feels a little different. Like, Doom modding is not really a world in which people are, like, within... And interacting with one another, other than playing the game, um, but it is like an inter- it's still an interesting episode. Similarly with ZZT, ZZT is just like this very very early video game creator thing that was like bootable on MS DOS and stuff. Yeah, so it was a DOS and... game that had a level editor that was mm. you know free at the time. So it was like yes, took off as like an editor, uh, and it was a very simple editor. I think I actually someone I knew in Cork had this. And they were trying to get right. me into it, and I, I was not <laughs> vibing with it at all. Yeah. Um, but, like, I thought that was very sweet, because I've definitely been in that kind of online community of, like, being really into something that, like, we're all doing our best to preserve and whatnot. And because the real hardship with that is just, like, they, they kind of face the challenge in the episode is, like, MS-DOS backwards compatibility stuff. And they had to, like, make all these emulators so all these games would be preserved and things like that. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. I, I, I thought those are interesting because it's, like, it's it's catering to a different, like, a different demographic somewhat. Because, like, I think CZT is a good example of this in that, like, while CZT was a thing, yes, technically, some people would have had, like, world, like, the equivalent of World's Chat, like, would have been out at the same time mm. CZT was still a thing. Um, yeah. But, like, going to a live online space isn't the only way to experience, like, a, well, our, my culture is this forum in which I talk about, like, and share ZZT maps with people. And the same with Doom. Like, I remember, like, so I, I remember back, like, like, Doom was out kind of before, you know, I had a computer that could run Doom. So when I had a computer that mm. was, like, more modern games, and when I was, like, properly, like, interested in, like, online communities... I remember spending a lot of time like reading like the forums for the people who modded Max Payne levels <laughs> because people mm-hmm. had done some really crazy stuff with mods for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. There yeah. was like uh because of the bullet time thing, there was lots of Matrix mods before there was any Matrix computer games. So people were like mm. Matrix skins for Max Payne and then also like someone had edited together like a whole Jedi Force powers thing <laughs> for it. Oh yeah. It was just like yeah, yeah. oh this is like really, really it got really like 
really, really invested in like this. I wasn't like you know I tried to make stuff, but none of none of it worked. So I was I was big into the Jurassic Park Operation Genesis modding community. <laughs> yeah, uh, if anyone remembers Jurassic Park Operation Genesis, it was not a successful game. Um, it was a theme park builder for Jurassic Park. Like you get to make the successful version of Jurassic Park, basically. Yeah. They've redone that concept, and there's now, like, a Jurassic World brand tie-in one of that that came out and was kind of successful. Yeah, um, that was made by the Planet Coaster people. I have it. It's very it's very good. <laughs> okay. But this one was, like, I want to say mid-2000s. I want to say, like, 2005 yeah. it came out. Um, and the reason why there was a huge modding community is that it was it was rushed uh the release was rushed and basically none of the files were uh i i can't remember the the term but like crypto the, something like the yeah the, the basically like all the source was just there it wasn't um, yeah. yeah it wasn't compiled like it wasn't yes yeah. you could just open the text and it would be just like number of parks equals four and i was like oh i'm just gonna change this to nine yeah <laughs> it's like, it was just very yeah easy hidden to content do. yeah yeah uh, and you initially get into that for the purposes of like quote-unquote cheating because like anyone who makes those kind of like theme park simulator games knows that you need to give them like the infinite money option so people can just have like fun yeah um but Operation Genesis didn't do that. You had to do that by like modding the game, <laughs> effectively. Um, but the big one, the big golden, uh, the 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 like, I don't know the 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 the, the city on the hill. I, I'm not sure what metaphor I'm looking for. The like the big thing everyone was trying to achieve, the like the pipe dream, the pie in the sky, was getting breeding to work. Oh, right. Um, because much in much staying true to the canon of Jurassic Park, the first one, every dinosaur in the park was a female, mm. and there was no breeding. Mm. Um, but there was a very funny, the closest anyone ever got, and this is why I'm telling you all this is very funny. Which is someone had made a mod that turned the dinosaur poop into smaller versions. <laughs> Of the dinosaur that pooped it, and that was the closest anyone got to like br- bringing in the breeding thing. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah, it's very funny because the problem with the way the animation the di- of the poop worked to make it look like the poop had been there for a long time is it kind of like grew out, like it like widened, like to kind of like make it look like it would spread. Yeah. So like all the dinosaurs over time would just get like bigger than their parents, but also just like wider, <laughs> and, like really elongated, and like for whatever reason, no one could make that stop happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I think I think like it's yeah, it's it's a diff- it's a different thing. I think it's different to the the format of like well, Neo Habitat and World's Chat, and the other two are like we'll talk about it a little bit. Or it's more of like a community that's around a piece of software that. If the community wasn't around, it would just disappear because mm. the like so CZT is a good example and, and Doom as the, like, the Doom modding community because because these are things that are like created via the game but not like actually part of the game. It you, it's not enough to make the game run. You also need to make have servers and all these mm. files saved. And a lot of the people on both of them are talking about like there's 
levels I played that I can't find like I can't find anymore because yeah, they've dropped gone. off a server and they're now just gone and they might live on someone's hard drive or they might not and that's that that's that um or just like the other the guy who the person who made the level is just like not as committed yeah. as you ever were and just like they made the level but now they're out yeah exactly they got out <laughs> um <laughs> but also like like yeah like like the ZZT people talking about like oh there isn't you know like getting this to work with like you know if if people have to install DOSBox and stuff to get this to work, it's not like it's not really satisfying for them. You know, it'd be better for it to just work on modern modern hardware. And as I think the the number of number of things incre- increases, the more work that's created to kind of get that to keep going. Because there's a lot of stuff that just if it's not available on GOG or if there's no Steam release for it, you're like, well, even if you wanted to play it. It might be a lot of admin to, to get it to work, and there you might run into the situation where nobody has your graphics, graphic card and machine combination, and as you've hit a bug that is not fixable, mm. and that's that. Yeah. If there's no patch, the, for it. like the Z, the ZZT one had like a kind of hopeful ending because they kind of go through the chronology chronologically, and like someone did come along and make like a a. a DOS like wrap wrapper yeah. around it, yeah, yeah. so people can like install it and play it on modern things without having to learn how like to boot DOS or mm. whatever. There's just like a ZZD player now, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think there's one like in browser as well, which makes things very easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that does require yeah. like a substantial amount of work for someone, someone to do. Yeah, someone. Yeah, the the last two. The only the the one I think I want to say about Mr. Online is Mr. Online being like I guess the second last one because the last one is kind of like a very the last episode in the series they kind of like specifically leave last because I think it's quite impactful. Um, Mr. Online, like episode three, uh, that whole episode is just like a vibe for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's yeah. So history for Kiron. Kiron was always too scared to play Mist. Because for me, or for young Kiran, Mist was just, like, too eerie and too alone and kind of spooky. Like, I, I couldn't handle the world of Mist because it always just felt so, like, empty. I just couldn't yeah. handle the idea of being, like... Especially when you're talking about, like, you know, you're you're playing video games in, like, early childhood days of just, like... There's the family computer. Everyone else has gone to bed. It's, like... 11 mm-hmm. o'clock at night and you're just in front of this like whirring Windows 98 machine um, playing a game that by no right is not scary other than the fact that you're in a house that just kind of like makes noise when the wind blows <laughs> and you're just like um, so yeah Miss always it's got like ominous sin- synth music as well like it's it is yes there yeah. is like a, a vibe about it yeah, Mist, like, the thing about Mist was, like, Mist became, kind of, by accident, the most popular PC game ever, until it was supplanted mm. by The Sims. <laughs> so yes. it, was quite a, it was quite a reasonable run, where the people who made Mist, uh, or the company that ended up owning the rights to it, were, like, churned out sequels, made, like, real Mist, which was, like, Mist remade in this, like, elaborate 3D engine. Mm. And Mist Online was another thing. And... The docu- the documentary episode is very very interesting because I think like so, 
I think it's more in the vein of like Worlds Chat is something that like you can see how it just about they got it working just about and like the stuff to make it keep going was kind of there and people generated the content and then it was kind of a bit like flat in terms of features. Neo Habitat I think is more like Mist Online is the 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 idea for it was that like every month there was going to be like new content added. And there was going to be, like, new quests you could go on and more scope things issues. you could buy. Yeah. And the, the the original scope for Mist Online effectively was, oh, we, like, to get this to keep going, we need, like, a team of writers that's constantly writing new content so that we can yeah, add the, it to the game. The most ambitious thing about Mist Online is the thing, the no NPCs thing. Yeah. There was, like, one NPC that was, like, only existed for like entering the game for the first time mm-hmm. and then every other supposed NPC was a paid actor. Yeah. <laughs> um so it's like someone it's basically like immersive theater. Like it's the cost of an immersive theater, but you can't charge yeah. people the ticket price every time they go on. <laughs> but you still We're disrupting the immersive theater industry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is um uh an industry that didn't exist in <laughs> the scale it existed. Anyway, the um yeah, like the, it was just like an insane concept. But it was not only was there actors, it was also like there was like events planned. They had like a b- big long like tale of content that was supposed to continuously come out for it it was just like this is not practical from this is like a good idea but it's just not feasible to have it run like this there's there was also like this collaborative effort as well because the the whole plot of the people who were playing it was about like researching and discovering the history and exploring this world yeah and stuff like that that you would have to make the like the the really interesting thing about the whole story is that like in the in the canon of Mist Online, Mist is a successful video game. Yes, about <laughs> about the plot or about the history of the like people you're you know uncovering in your Mist Online yeah. experience. Yeah, okay, in this like underground law society or whatever. So the thing that I find very interesting with the Mist Online episode and like. A lot of them in general is, I think I was trying to say this when you cut out, when the internet dropped a little bit, but like, I find the whole like second generation people very interesting. Yeah. The people who come along to these things, not in their heyday, but like in like a second wave, like Mm -hmm. World's Chat had a revival when like running World's Chat became more feasible for more people to do on their computer. Yeah. Um, In the same way that like in, in... uh, Hugh and Kieran friendship lore mm-hmm. when like everyone it, everyone including ourselves and like a bunch of our friends got computers that were able to run Age of Empires 2 more successfully we all started playing Age of Empires on LAN yeah. because when that game first came out who the fuck do that yeah because um, you need a P- you need like a PC to run it and then when it became it, when it ticked over to like everyone's laptop can run this it's like well now we can just go somewhere and if any of us have laptops, play, we can yeah. just all play it. As long as we can cobble together enough total computers, it's a very different vibe to... Yes, um, exactly. Bringing over your, like, your very much your your desktop. Yeah. Which desktop is not, in the yeah. actual sense. It's not that no one did that. There's, like, people yeah. did LAN parties in which they brought over their PCs, but it's just wasn't... Like, that was, a, like, an enthusiast's thing. Like, you'd have to be really yes. into it for it to be practical. Um, you have to buy like a carry case, like a yeah. shielded carry case was yeah. like a expensive thing. Um but like okay, so 
the Miss Online thing came to the second wave came to the fact that there was like people booting the server themselves and people demanding the server be maintained and now it's like the company does actually maintain the server mm. and it is free and stuff and it's like lives in this kind of hollow kind of existence and he's just the guy who's like giving the tour is describing this time of just like we would go like here's a bunch of areas that were meant to come there's this doorway was meant to be opened at some point but it never did uh here's this place that's like in the lore was meant to be a pub but mm. like because there's no npcs you have to like populate it and make it the pub yeah um which is like super interesting and that's like and they're like yeah we sometimes do that like we'll get together like the you know the third thursday of every month and we'll like come here and someone will play music and we'll all sit down and have chats and whatever and it's like oh that's kind of nice but the vibe that that gave me do you remember um the award-winning episode of black mirror the one the first one that had like a supposedly happy ending san junipero yeah 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 where like people are uploaded before they die into like they they play the song heaven is a place on earth yeah um at the end and i don't know if i was the only one who had the ultimate feeling of dread when i watched the end of that episode where you see them being uploaded to the server and it's like I know what happens to these things over time. Mm-hmm. It becomes missed online. <laughs> and like, I think the really interesting episode of like the San Junipero sequel is everyone sticking around as it's very clear the infrastructure of keeping this thing going <laughs> is falling down from the outside. Yeah, so that's the, uh, that's the plot to an Amazon show now. Um, oh, really? I've forgotten. It's uh, I think it's called Uploaded or something. Basically, the plot is that you, like as as you're dying they can like digitize your head but it's like a destructive process they have to like dissolve your head to do it and basically there's a guy who's like trying to write an open source version of it that will be free and then he's mysteriously in a car accident and gets uploaded to one of these like for-profit servers <laughs> mm-hmm. and it is all just like everything is incredibly expensive it's very unclear how you'd ever actually in like long term pay for this because it's all in the plot of the show, it's his rich girlfriend's family who may or may not have had him like assassinated, <laughs> are like paying his way, and then at some point in the plot, they're not paying his way, and suddenly he can't do anything, and then he's just in this like digital space, he can't do anything, and has none of the features, and therefore it's just like a like a really like cut down existence, which is just. <laughs> quite harrowing and there's like they like download him to a like a hard drive in the real world to try and get him into another place that's cheaper <laughs> stuff that kind of stuff just like yeah that's you know kind of a, a interesting that isn't like you're not the you're not the only one who had this thought i think is the the thing of like yeah there is a worse version of this that is more likely than the yes. kind of idealized because i think think about that that episode of black mirror especially it's just like it's uh anytime that there's a few shots outside where it is they live in like you know this you know utopian future where it's like rolling they're all they're like they're in retirement homes in like rolling green hills in these pods and stuff it's not yeah it's kind of like a there's a constructed world around it but i think you're more right and that stuff kind of becomes more like this where if there isn't the people around to maintain it it just 
you know goes away there's one really funny thing in the mist online one that i want to point out actually that is the uh they were talking about like when it originally came out there were people had really good fun because there was um these pylon cones everywhere that you could interact with as physics objects and mm. basically when they put the official service back online they had to update the physics engine in order to get it to run at all and that broke the pylons that everyone really liked throwing around and playing with and they're like yeah. they said they might fix it but they're not sure if it can be fixed and it might just be broken yeah. forever but the pylons are still there they just don't do what they used to do <laughs> they're just like yeah. <laughs> i think you could pick them up but they don't like go back down on the ground there was some like thing about it it was just like oh that is yes yeah, really that that that's really creepy but it's just this, this like oh there's this fundamental thing broken that's never going to be fixed <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely because like i i go so like i guess in the world of like a kind of sanjay de Pera thing i i can because like not even the hyper capitalism thing i can totally imagine because they they do it like the way um a hospice care kind of works yeah. where like basically when the person passes on they just they get a cut of the like property sales mm. to like pay for them keeping the servers running right that that's that's how I envision something like that working. But then just like over time, every company just fails or yeah. like this way of doing things will go out of mode. Like maybe people will just want to die again, like properly die or we'll find a better way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really liked the idea of something like Mist Online where we're like, we're not really getting any responses from you know, the staff, which are now very clearly like a skeleton crew. Uh, all these updates we were promised aren't coming. There are less and less people now. We have to do things ourselves. The NPCs aren't working or the NPCs aren't there. And everything's just like very lonely. And I just like, I just, that whole episode is like a weird vibe to me. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, uh, I liked it a lot as well. Pretty creepy. I didn't like the Second Life episode as much. <laughs> Oh really? I liked some. I like. I I like the overview and the person they got to show them around was really really good. I think mm. there was a bit of it which I think they needed to lean heavier on because a lot of it was more about this is what Second Life is like now, um, which is very interesting. But I think the thing that I found most interesting and really struck a chord because I remember it as a thing was when they yeah. go to I think it's like the University of Sydney or something's campus Perth. in Second Life. Yeah, that was true. Yeah, yeah. And they weren't the only ones. There were a lot of no, no. I, I like, I yeah. did a course in Second Life. Did you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember because I did my bachelor's in psychology, and we basically had a pitch from one of the research labs to be like, "Oh, we, we need research assistants for our experiments. We're doing Second Life. It's like the future of recruitment, recruitment participants for surveys and stuff because you can yeah, do it in Second Life." And you're like. At the time, I just remember thinking, like, this is, like, a terrible idea because it's going to become abandoned wear in some form. And in yeah. fairness, though, it hasn't. Like, at Second Life as a concept has not become, like, has not been abandoned. But, like, as in... It's in a weird limbo. Yeah, it's in a weird limbo. And there's, like, large chunks of it that are abandoned. And those things don't go away. There's a lot of them are just sitting there. Or some of them are now starting to go away. Um... I I find I find that was like I think I would have found I I kind of, I kind of wanted more about um 
the goals of Second Life, but that's not really the format of the documentary because the format is is like someone showing them around the world. But I felt there needed to be a lot of a lot more exposition about this is what Second Life was originally planning to do, and this is how they marketed that as the concept, and this is yeah. what the result has been, which is is more of a stark contrast. I think I had to like I think I paused it and went and looked up a bunch of like old Second Life promo uh, material and stuff just to be like wait a minute, I remember this, and the way they're selling it has kind of explained half of it, but what were they saying? How were they saying it was going to work? There was some There was some explanation they had that was it was not going to be this stupid. <laughs> and then it it, it, it it did just pan out to be that stupid. Yeah, so I guess, I guess to like uh, explain a little bit, like they, they had someone showing them around, and there was someone, I think like the kind of the ethos of the show seems to be when possible, I think there's like cases when it wasn't possible. I think particularly with Neo Habitat, it wasn't possible. Mm. But when possible, the person who they got to show them around had to be a user rather than staff. Yeah, because um, like the company that made like and a big part of the episode, the company that made Second Life is still trying to make Second Life a thing. Um, in you know, capital T thing, TM 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 mm-hmm. registered trademark. Um, and that leads to the interesting things. Person they got to show around was this person who, through Second Life, realized that they were trans and that they, um, that they are like a furry. That they 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 are interested in that kind of stuff, uh, in particular. And the Second Life is a huge part of their like sexual awakening, uh, mm. in a in a lot of ways, um, and also like transitioning and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and. It's really interesting, uh, and from that like local kind of like personal perspective, it's super interesting. But also, yeah. I think they had like a very good perspective on like how they had come to this, um, mm-hmm. how like this such this such a great thing that has happened to them personally has happened in this kind of like hyper capitalist hellscape <laughs> that they like don't like. Yes. Um, which is like a super interesting, like not contradiction. Like it is a contradiction, but it's one that they're like they're very aware of. Yeah, um, I think especially they're very aware of what bits of it they interact with, and what bits of mm-hmm. it they're like. I would never rent this expensive space in Second Life to build my house. Well, I could. <laughs> yeah, I will show you it, but like show you the the mechanism of doing that. But like this the way all of this stuff works is that everything is like microtransaction shit and that's like yeah you know the the reality of how it, how it runs i was always gonna how it would have to run because yeah yeah because like the the way second life works now and this was always built into it i believe um and this is important i think that this is the last episode because i feel like second life builds on like what worlds chat and neo habitat did like both of those Mm. other two things are maybe a bit more utopian uh whereas uh second life is just like extractive rentier economy nonsense because like the way that they historically made money and still make any kind of money is like renting virtual space like they've created virtual scarcity to an extent to like a false scarcity yeah. of land to make things work um so they like run the linden servers to make second life work by charging a rent 
to a bunch a couple of whales and then there's also like a class of i guess renters Mm. who exist within second life or like i don't know dispossessed almost (laughs) like i'm not even sure there i mean it's a little different when you don't require shelter to function but like um it's like super interesting that's the way but you also uh i can't remember if she uses she or they um no, I don't remember either. Yeah. The, the tour guide, let's just say that, um, does kind of show you around and kind of show you a little bit of the history of like, here's uh, attempt number two of Linden Corp trying to be like a real company. Yeah. Um, like, and that was like the uh, the University of Perth, whatever, just like having a campus there or something. Um, yeah. Because... Yeah. I think at the end, the um, tour guide comes to this like conclusion that's uh, kind of upsetting, but one that I find to be very believable, which is mm. they're still kind of holding out that Second Life might be like, like I said, become a thing. Yeah, uh, and much in the way that like uh, Tumblr did, the thing that keeps that going now at the moment is porn. Um, the like the places where in second life you can fuck basically mm-hmm. virtually in various manners um and then at some point they might become like a legit corporation that like tumblr and like others will just like outlaw this effectively or make it a breach of term of service whatever you want to call yeah. it yeah right yeah and that's like i think the tour guy comes to the conclusion of like Either that's going to happen, or it will eventually fail. Or like it's basically the only two options in front of them. Yeah, yeah. From like a money. Well, this is the thing. I like. I'm not. I think that the conclusion of that didn't necessarily uh, hold true because I think what I think the yeah the idea basically is that if you look at Second Life, you're like, well, this mm. looks like you know a early 2010s. Like it was probably the last time it got like a gra- graphical update. Like, it looks like that. Mm. It looks like the way it's always looked, and it the interaction like breath is like pretty much what it always was. There's like some new animations and stuff there. Otherwise, it's the same. And the idea that there's ever going to be a tipping point that like they'll get like some you know venture capital money to kind of bring it back <laughs> in a new way just doesn't seem realistic. I think what's more likely is just squeezing whatever life is left out of it continuously until it slowly dies, but never getting rid of the stuff. Because the thing about Tumblr was basically like before the thing that before like you know yeah before 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 the uh, Tumblr kind of getting sold off. Like the reason they got sold off was because like Yahoo imploded. <laughs> But yeah, they could have kept like that. Could have kept going the way it was going for quite a while because it wasn't that it was making like it wasn't that it was like not possible to turn that making money, but it was not possible to turn it into what uh, like a, a VC company would need, where they're like, I need this to return like multiple tens times my investment. I need this to be like the social network. And you're like, well, you, so you can't do that. Is to do that. Like, it's, its moment has passed. People don't come back to these things. These mm. things don't, like, go away and then suddenly come back. A lot of people keep trying to do that, but that's not actually the way the, these things happen because 
there's either the people who are still on it who won't like the changes and there's the people who've left who you're not gonna like trick back because you need them to trick back in on mass which is just yeah. not something that happened because like people start social networks all the time <laughs> and start to do these kind of things and they either get a community or like like for, like facebook is a good example of this in that like facebook kind of accidentally became the like biggest social network to an mm. extent because yes you can look back on it and be like oh they did all these right choices that resulted in them being so successful i was like yes but if there's a lot of like coincidental timing things that caused it to have the momentum for that to work in the first place and artificially recreating that from something that already exists is much much more difficult than being like here's this new thing and i've hit you at the right time in the right place and you're gonna get on board or like all your friends are on board whereas like i don't know what you could do to like turn second life around it wouldn't be kicking ever like kicking everyone off and, and doing that. Yeah, but like, so I guess they, like yeah, the, yeah. This is the thing. Like I, 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 I'm with you as well. Like I, I don't understand what you would do to turn things around. But like, Linden Lab is still going. Um, they're privately held. They never did an IPO. I guess two hundred and forty-five employees currently. Um, minus thirty percent from their their first quarter or their highest quarter, which is three hundred fifty. Yeah, in terms of um, the and the like, Linden Lab website is still kind of like create virtual experiences. Uh, that's kind of like they're still thing. They only have two products, which is Second Life and the like financial instrument they have created basically to have a virtual currency that is exchangeable that you can pay dollars to get and then get dollars back from yeah because it's yeah it's one of the things with like the virtual currency they've created is like it's fungible in both ways unlike um a lot of mobile phone games will have like a virtual currency within them that you can only pay in one direction basically yeah um I guess can... the thing about it is that, like, they could just, you know, keep this going in its current form to some extent for quite a while if it's making money um, and not need to... Because I guess that's the thing. They probably have made the calculation that taking all the not-safe-for-work stuff off would just cause it to collapse and then it would... Yeah. They might burn out yeah. money. But that's, like, the point that the tour guide's making. Yes. That this yeah. will be the thing that will, like provide the red the bedrock if they become a success in some way the the porn stuff will be the bedrock in which the base in which they can always build upon that will always be there until they outlaw it basically um, yeah yeah so I, like, I, I think yeah, i think it's more likely that it would just you know dissolve away based there on, was yeah sorry go on oh no just based on like her showing like they them showing them around um uh, a lot of older bits that are like dead so kind of like streets because they had virtual streets where you'd like rent server space in the thing and where you're mm. just like weird 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 house and vacant lot vacant lot vacant lot weird house <laughs> vacant lot <laughs> and you're just like okay well there they weren't vacant lots there before even they were able to point out things that they, they like it, places where they were like oh i used to like to come here this thing used to be here and it's gone now because someone just stopped yeah. paying the fee at some point 
and I think the existence of a lot of that, like, you know, legacy stuff that's sitting around, or, like, the University of Perth campus, things like that, is just, like, if they've not gotten rid of a lot of that stuff yet, like, just nuked it, they're probably just letting it die and letting it continue to feed in some money. They're probably working on something else, but I'd be surprised if they were, you know, expecting Second Life to take take off in some new way. So, the news and press releases section of linden lab is very interesting really yes because some people are still basically falling for the grift um a balt like um an 1814 built museum in baltimore called the pearl museum or the peel museum sorry um has opened a virtual spot in um second life oh no yeah, this is a this is a museum that kind of like yeah, it's just like local Baltimore history and talks about slaves and stuff. Um which is very interesting. But also yeah, I sorry, I just saw something in the news that they did mention. I wish I had better memory of because there's like a title card type thing that happens at the end of every episode. Yeah. Um to kind of explain some things that have happened since, you know, the episode was recorded effectively yeah and yeah in july 9th july 9th 2020 uh linden linden labs was required by um god what was the name of the company that bought it acquired by an investment group led by Raddy Wa- randy waterford and brad oberwager Ober- oberwager <laughs> oh jesus that's a uh, name um that's a fucking hot and hot name um yeah so like that was something that they mentioned the title card at the end of the second life episode no. and the 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 person that the the tour guide was like not optimistic about the future but apparently a lot of the Second Life membership is incredibly nervous and are not getting any answers about what this means. Oh, right. Oh, you know what, actually? That, so as you say that, that does that does does ring a bell. So the, pro- the problem we have here, which is similar to the problem of the documentary itself, where a lot of stuff has happened since. I watched the documentary like a month ago at this point, <laughs> and I had forgotten some bits, and uh, I, I had forgotten that. that that's, yeah, that's a, very, that's a very good point. This is the thing. I think it's... um. Uh, you know, this is this is the thing. I think I all I continue to underestimate the uh, willingness people have to like buy into it, something that is clearly, clearly from my perspective, a grift or something that like definitely won't it won't ever work. Um, but uh, prove me wrong, Linden Labs new owners. <laughs> yeah. So like, what's that? What's that like uh, thing that everyone's using now? There's like a thing like this that's kind of popular, but I only ever see it via like YouTube memes or whatever because it's like. To get access to it, I think you have to have an Oculus or something similar. Yeah, like, I, I know you virtu- mean. Virtua Chat or something like that. Yeah, it's what um, um uh, I think it's Virtua Chat. Yeah, it's the uh, that's where um uh was it Ugandan Knuckles was the yes. game that came out of it. Yeah, yes, the, yes, yes, yes. Um, I think that is that. I think you had to have an Oculus. But this is this is the thing is that like the. I think, think with the Second Life episode that's really, really notable is that, like, it's a the documentary is called Preserving Worlds, and effectively the Second Life episode is largely about what if you had a really, really heavily controlled world that has lasted long enough and makes just enough money for that control never to seep away, like it has with, like, mm-hmm. Mist Online, for instance. Yes. 
you some of the a lot of the stuff the second life stuff if you say you were into second life and you went back now and you're like oh all that stuff i used to know a lot of it's gone it's never coming back and no one has it saved anywhere it's probably mm-hmm. just deleted whereas all of the other things are things that if people have successfully managed to archive fully <laughs> or in some yeah. large proportion whereas it could end up with like second life where it just disappears and it's, it's impossible to ever get back and mm. recreating it would be very very difficult because you would need content that's not actually accessible not actually accessible i think that's true of like a reasonable number of mmos especially or just like online spaces where to get something running that like replicates the server setup is pretty impossible (laughs) yeah yeah like second life in particular just seems very doomed i guess but like i think one of the other things i can't remember if it was something that was like an offhand comment by the tour guide or just something i was thinking it might have been a combination of the two but like there's something also about like the, the the leadership of Second Life that seems very um, lethargic or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like they're not. They obviously seem like it. It just seems like they're not trying. It seems very blockbuster. Like everyone talks about blockbuster being approached by things like you know, uh, Red Letter or Redbox and mm. Netflix and stuff like that, and just like saying no to it, and then ultimately, you know, dying or whatever. Yeah, there's something like. The stuff Second Life does seems like it should. Like, there's opportunities there. Mm-hmm. Like, we're in the global pandemic where everything has to be virtual, and they seem to have, like, basically done nothing with that information. They didn't even try to, like, oh, do things on Second Life or have a virtual office in Second Life. Um, they also seem like they've they've effectively tried to do nothing with oculus or like or any of that like rise in yeah virtual reality stuff that happened even though like virtual chat seems to be a thing that exists it's 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 it kind of reminds me of like why is everyone using zoom why yeah. didn't skype do anything <laughs> like yeah like well this. i mean yeah it's um yeah it's you know it's exactly it's interesting i think there is something like a there's definitely energy in things and you can tell when the energy is not there Gone. because yeah. the people in it aren't aren't in it that heavily i think that well i mean i think it was, <laughs> skype has just been like globbed into the microsoft um Teams. like office thing yeah, yeah where it's like basically just integrated everything there and that's the that's the selling point but yeah exactly like it's the things have their moment and it's the People were trying to make Zoom happen for a long time before Zoom happened. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Um, I remember at the start of the pandemic, people just be like, what's Zoom? And I was like, oh, it's this, you know, really corporate um, <laughs> messaging software yeah. we have that they've now made available to everyone. But actually, the way it used to work is we had to pay for, like, Zoom rooms. And you could only, we only had three Zoom media rooms. And therefore, there was only three concurrent meetings that could happen on Zoom. Mm. And otherwise, we had to do something else. It's like what? Yeah, Zoom was something that always got ended, like installed on my computer because it was like I had some call with some fucking mm. psychotic American office that I had to like, and it was like open this in Zoom. It was like Zoom is asking you to download an application. I'm like what? What's happening? I hate this. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was the yeah. It's the. I, it'd be very difficult, I think, to you know replicate the. Uh, suddenly, everyone moved on to this thing, this platform, yeah, or this piece yeah. of software, and actually, there's large chunks of people who have never heard of this, and therefore, um, it's a. Uh, it's difficult to know how big a thing this actually is. Because I think the thing is, the thing about Second Life is, like, there was a... It had a cultural moment where kind of a reasonable portion of people knew what it was. But I remember being in that, like, psychology lecture where they were, like, trying to pitch us on, like, oh, come work in our lab to do research work in Second Life. And I was like, oh, I know what Second Life is, sort of. But most of the people in the room my age were just like, I've never heard of this. I was like, oh, right, yeah, because I, like, read tech press. <laughs> That they talk about Second yeah. Life, and they're like, "Linda Labs is finally making this thing in Second. This adding these features of Second Life." And it's like, "Yeah, who's heard about this? It's basically if you had to interact with it, or if you're into this stuff, and that's it. It didn't actually have the cultural moment that you know we might imagine it did." I mean, my like we 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 had a lecture in we had like a, a course a module in my course yeah. in Second Life, and uh, it became a problem because <laughs> like a uh, a friend of mine got banned from virtual dublin for um forgetting to take his penis off when he arrived in a supposedly safer work section and that was just like automatic ban it was just like it was like a it the other problem with like there's such a ui ux problem with second life as well because it was like he literally put it on like okay we had the first evening of having this class and with the first evening of having this class, it was like, okay, and afterwards everyone was like dicking around in Second Life and it was like, I'm going to buy a giant penis <laughs> and put it on my pants. Uh-huh. Um, and it was like, yes, this is very funny. We yes. can all agree this yeah, is yeah. very funny. Um, but then, of course, he just boots up the game, clicks the like teleport link mm. that's in like a, an email that was sent out to us to go to the lecture. Because the email, because the lecture was being held in virtual Dublin, and they just have like an automatic. You're wearing an NSFW item. You've just been banned from Second Life from opening Second Life with this account for like three weeks. So you miss like four lectures or whatever. <laughs> um, the other problem as well is that to do the course, everyone had to like rush home. Because the internet at college was never good enough oh, right. so, to yeah. attend the lectures. We all had to go to our home to use our home internet. Yeah. I think this is my this is the thing about um uh most of the things, the the topics of this documentary are like hmm. Neo Habitat in practice was not practical, both because of the computing power of the servers or the computers everyone had was not really up to this nor mm. was the internet up to that world's chat continue to have that i think continue to have a similar problem where like a lot of people using it would not have had internet connection that would actually make it run in a way that was satisfying say with miss online even though like a lot of people have been like oh like, it would be fun to interact with all these actors and stuff and it's like yes but would that have been fun over like dial-up not as fun <laughs> certainly because like the interpenetration still would not have been good enough when Miss Online was a thing, nor was it good enough when Second Life was a thing in most places. Mm. Um, yeah. It's kind of an experience that's designed for a reality that huge numbers of people don't live in, uh, and that makes it impractical to actually have this work as a thing. 
more realistic now, but even then, you still have problems of, well, if you want to run like a high-fidelity version of something like Second Life, you would still have that problem, because you need sufficiently good internet for that to work. And that's the latency problem. Yeah. Yeah. The main takeaway is that the Monster Factory episode set in Second Life is a very good episode of Monster Factory. Um, I'll take your word for that. The the thing we were talking about the whole time, the documentary Monster Factory. <laughs> yeah. So Preserving Worlds on Mean TV, I really recommend people watching it. Very good. Especially yeah. if they're interested in, like, the internet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, even not, like, even not, because, like, I watched this with uh, uh, the missus, and it's not something that, like, I would have suspected was her wheelhouse, but, like, she got really into it. Yeah. It's... It's a very well done and very interesting documentary. I think it's it's good for anyone who's been in any way like a little bit obsessive online. Mm-hmm. I think is just if you had any kind of experience or sympathy or empathy for that feeling, that this is a good documentary. Yeah, because I think the main thing it does is it really sells you on the position all of the like guides that they have are in and mm-hmm. explaining how they ended up into the thing. Because obviously the the person we talk about more the the um, the uh, person on Second Life who obviously like had a very personal um, important experience on Second Life, but that was true to a lesser extent of everyone else pretty much involved. Just like, well, I found this and I really gelled with it. I, I had this like community and we all had this weird thing we we do. Or the new happened to that guy was just like you know <laughs> we had such dreams, such hopes, <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was very good. That's a, that's an episode of Dream Buddies because we've go, been going now for almost two hours. I'm sorry. It's all right. No, it was good. I'm, I'm happy with that conversation. I was going to talk about Game Grumps, but I can save that for next episode. Yeah, next time we'll talk about Game Grumps, which I think Game Grumps is a really good example of a world you were involved in paying attention to that yeah. I have very little familiarity with. I'd be interested in um, uh, the actual goings on of. The future vanguards of American fascism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell, the original game grump. <laughs> uh, keep on dreaming. Yeah, that's, that's how we end yeah, this. That's what we say. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, Bye. I'm sorry. <laughs>